you to find your seats. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll spend most of our time there uh, again. Uh, it is good to be back. It's good to be at home, uh, certainly with my family, but including my church family. Uh, thank you for uh, everyone who prayed for our trip. It was great. Lee and I are really excited to share uh, next week. Um, and again, we'll be doing that. Uh, we're going to start our service earlier, 1.30, because uh, I know some people want to watch some football game that happens in the afternoon there. So, um, but we, we will uh, we'll get to share all kinds of stories uh, about uh, what we got to experience, believers that we got to meet with, and, and how our church can support what God is doing uh, over in India. Um, and uh, again, we're, we're grateful for Grace Church and uh, them letting us use their space. If you know someone that goes to Grace, please thank them. Tell, tell them that uh, you heard how great their leadership has, has been to us as a church body. Um, and really all the churches of Campus Washougal um, have reached out and, and they, they want to bless us. They're supporting us. Our, our youth group is going to get to meet, I think, it sounds like, at uh, Northwest Gospel Church in Camas on Wednesdays because they don't have a youth group that meets. So um, we're excited about that. We have a, a lead on our, our, our play group uh, for, the, for the moms and kids. Um, hopefully we'll nail that down uh, this week. Uh, but as you know, we've been talking about community, and, and not just any community, but uh, Christ-centered community. Um, uh, because community that we're talking about doesn't, doesn't start with uh, with. You know, people that, that your kids have an activity with or, or go to school with, or it's not community that's based around some hobby that you have, but it's community that is created because you've come to know, you've come to love, you've come to trust in Jesus, right? You've discovered Christ's love, um, love so great for us that, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? You've come to see your great need for him to save you. So Christian community is formed because we believe in Jesus. So today we're, we're focused on, on Christian community uh, that it sanctifies and heals, right? And in order for, for healing and sanctif sanctification to take place in community, uh, you have to choose. You have to choose to be involved, right? To be a participant in that community. But even more than being involved, you have to open yourself up to brothers and sisters in Christ in order for that healing to, to come about, in order for that, that process of, of sanctification to come about. So what do we need to be healed from? Right? In Christ, we've been forgiven of our sins. So the most important thing, our souls being healed, has happened. Right? That's the ultimate healing that every person needs. Uh, and we know that this side of heaven we continue to battle sin. So when we sin, and when others sin against us, we deal with the shrapnel of sin in this life. Uh, each and every one of us comes into the body of Christ, and we've got different wounds. Or, or maybe we have wounds that have healed over, and, and now they're just scars. But what we all come um, with wounds into the church. And maybe even today, maybe you're walking in with some fresh wounds, right? Something happened at work, or something with your family, or maybe it's just this persistent lie that you believe about yourself. Uh, as leadership over the last few years, we've noticed we've had more and more people coming to Harvest that, that they've got some church wound from, from a previous church experience, uh, right? A church that they probably deeply loved and often they were very involved in and then something happened 
and, and it, it hurt. It, it hurt really badly. It cut deep. And now, now they've ended up here with us. And certainly we have people that have left harvest over the years, that, that have had wounds. Um, and by God's grace, they will find a church. And, and God will use that church to heal those wounds. But I'd wager that every one of us, uh, every one of us has wounds that, some that are really deep, right, that we've carried um, maybe most of our lives. Once a quarter um, in Clark County, there's a meeting for uh, lead pastors of churches. Um, and it's something that's been going on for, for years and years. Um, and we, we sit around uh, tables in small groups. We have lunch together. There, there's not like a, a speaker that comes to it. Um, we, we all just share. We have some prompts to talk about. Uh, and since, since COVID happened, since lockdown, I've noticed a major shift in our times together. Um, it, it feels like, like we are, um, we're, we're putting on less of a facade with one another, right? I see these guys like once a quarter. Um, and and we're, we are, uh, we're a little more raw than we used to be together. We're a little more willing to share um, how we're really doing, right, in a, in a personal way. Uh, and uh, even this last one, it was just Thursday, um, I looked around the room like, man, there's a, there's a lot of wounds uh, carried by, by all of these pastors, including myself. And we know that God uses his church as a place of healing, right? The, the, the church community is so often like a hospital, right? Bandaging the wounded, giving rest to the weary, or um, I don't know if you've ever been to a th- physical therapist, but you go to a physical therapist and they, they, you've got this injury and, and they have you do these, these little exercises that, that are so, they're almost embarrassing. They're so like small, right? You're not like lifting tons of weight, like you're going like this or something because you've cut your finger, I don't know. Um, uh, it, but, but that therapist is helping you identify this wound that you have, this injury that you have, and he or she's helping you atrophy, or work those atrophied muscles. But Christ-centered community is a place of healing. It's also a place of, of sanctifying. And sanctification is a word that we probably use much outside of the Bible, outside of church. But to sanctify something is to set it apart for God's special use. Right? Set it apart as holy. So there's a sense... Um, all Christians are, are already sanctified in Christ, right? This is called positional sanctification, right? And praise God for that, that, that we've already been set apart as holy for God's use. And we also know there's another sense where we continue throughout our lifetime uh, to be sanctified. This is called progressive sanctification, right? It just means growing in Christ's likeness, right? God is working in us to shape us, mold us more and more into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and we're more and more trusting him, more and more submitting to him, and more and more making his ways our ways. So the simplest way I can put it is our sanctification is becoming more and more like Christ, set apart for his purposes. So Ephesians 4.1 uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, and Paul is regularly, if you've read his epistles, he's regularly calling believers to growth, right? And he sets the bar high. He says, live out this calling that you have received, right? Be, live in a way that's worthy of this, this calling, right? You're a child of the Most High. You are holy. Church, you're a royal priesthood. 
He says, let's, let's live that way. Let's, let's walk that way. And, and actually, I should back up to uh, just, just before that portion of the verse. Right? Look how he describes himself. He says he, he's a prisoner for the Lord. He was literally writing this letter from prison. Right? Even, even when mistreated, even in the worst circumstances, Paul says, live in a manner, walk in a manner, worthy of the calling you received. Uh, Lee and I got to meet, I don't even know, I mean, a, a few hundred Christians over uh, different church gatherings, uh, and, it, and it wasn't hard to notice um, how difficult uh, life is for Christians in, uh, in India. And as, as far as I understand, in northern India where we were, it is, it is even worse. And I, I just imagine as they read, take up your cross and follow me, uh, I wonder if it's easier for them to relate to that than it is for us. Uh, we mostly met newer believers, like believers within the like, last year or two. We, we, met, we certainly met a couple that, that had been uh, following Jesus for decades. Um, but most of them had decided to trust in Jesus really uh, recently. Uh, the church in India is, it has grown. Uh, and, and all of them, or I should say most of them, uh, had come out of Hinduism, right? Converting to Christianity. So that means they're disowned by their family, uh, which means their, their place to live is, is gone. Uh, most of them uh, lost their jobs. Um, some of them faced beatings. Uh, we met pastors who've been beaten and imprisoned. Uh, the Christian life it is hard. Now, do we face those exact same trials? Probably not. Right? Not, not at this point in our country. Um, though for some of you, you came from a family that, that did not believe in Jesus. Right? You came out of some, some different belief system, some different world view. And now, maybe following Jesus, you are the black sheep of your family because you've trusted in Jesus. Maybe, maybe your family actually did disown you. And in Christian history, this is actually really normal. Right? We see it with, with Paul, certainly in prison. Uh, he endured beatings and shipwrecks. They threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. There were mobs formed who swore they wouldn't even eat until they had taken his life. Most of the apostles were killed in a number of horrific ways. Obviously, Jesus suffered and died. So if the leaders of Christianity, even Jesus himself, intimately knew hardship, we would be foolish as Christians to think that, that any of his followers wouldn't know hardship Following Jesus will be hard. And, and if it isn't ever hard, I wonder if we're really following Jesus. And certainly we don't like hard things. I, I don't enjoy many hard things. And, and no matter what generation you're part of, I think the previous generations look at your generation and say that you are soft. Um, we, we try to avoid difficulty and trial unless there's no other option. Right? We don't seek it out. But as Christians, we know that in all things, God is with us, right? That he uses all things for our good and his glory. And what he's doing is making us more and more into the image of Christ. We call that sanctification, right? Becoming more and more like Jesus. So by God's good design, Christians are being sanctified. And, and, and so much of that happens within the context of your church community. Right? We are not our own. But within the care of the community of believers, we, we grow in Jesus. Christians will have developmental delays in our sanctification when, you're, when we're not involved in the life of a church. Right? Just coming to a Sunday service isn't being involved in the life of a church. 
And I know, I should say this, I know we're really excited about community groups. Matt just said how many groups we've got going. Community groups are not the only way um, to, to be involved in community in a church. I know for some of you, you cannot do it right now. Like before the Lord, it's not the right decision for you, maybe your family. Um, and that's totally fine, but you still, you need to find community in your church. God uses church community to sanctify us. And I, I say us instead of you. Right? We tend to think so individually, right? I, I think individualistically. Um, but in, in many places around the globe, including in India, uh, people aren't as individualistic as you and I are. Um, they cannot escape thinking about uh, the family and the community as a whole. And, and, and then for believers, man, they think much more in the terms of the body of Christ, not just themselves, like we think in the Western world. Um, but as Christians, we would do better to train ourselves to think corporately as, as a body, as a church community, not just myself. Even in, in this verse here, right, he used the word you two times. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. I suspect that that you is more like a y'all, okay? We, my guess is every one of us sees those two yous and we think, oh, me. It, we should think of that more as a, a y'all. I urge y'all to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which y'all have been called to. I know that sounds funny, but I actually think that's better for us to understand it that way. Um, if you've been on our website, like when you check out our church and you're looking, at, looking for what we believe, we have these statements, we call them we believe statements. And here's, here's a portion of one of them. It says, we believe that the body of Christ, the church, is composed of interdependent members. I love that. Interdependent members, right? God has designed a church family, church community to be interdependent, to be members of one another, right? It's, it's a need that he's created us with. We cannot escape uh, that we need one another, that we even bear responsibility for one another in Jesus, uh, so we, we go through all our We Believe statements in our membership class and in Harvest Life, and, and it, people latch on to that inner, interdependent members. Uh, we like that. At least as an ideal, we like that. Uh, but are you ready to jump in and really participate in Christian community? Right? Are you ready to open yourself up to others, allowing God to sanctify you through your church community? Being a part of Christ-centered community that heals and sanctifies means that you choose to participate. You choose to open yourself up to that community. And it is a choice to engage in the life of the church, right? To join the community that exists there. It means deciding that you really, you can't hide, or at least it's harder to hide areas of your life that, that aren't so Christ-like. And God gifts these interdependent members in order to grow his bride in Christ's likeness for his purposes. Verse 11 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, he says, And he gave apostles, and prophets, and evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Right? Verse 12, here's the reason or the aim for these gifts. Verse 12 says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of 
of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Right? This is this is progressive sanctification. It's, it's equipping the, the body for ministry, right? Equipping the, the body for God's special purposes for y'all. Um, unity uh, of faith and knowledge in the church, growing to maturity, right? We're, we're growing in our Christ-likeness as a church. And, and, and he does that right, within the community of the church, within the life of the church, so God, God gives these, these different gifts, and I don't think it's just these gifts. I think these are examples of some of the gifts, but he, he, fills, uh, he fills the church right, with, with, with his people, and he gifts them uh, for ministry. He, he equips. He gives all these gifts so that the entire body of Christ is built up and we're to grow more and more throughout our lifetime in Jesus. Right? We can trust that, that through his church, God will sanctify us. Right? We will have room to grow until the day we see Jesus face to face. I don't know if you know what a rock tumbler is, but um, some of my kids, especially when they were younger, they loved shiny rocks. And uh, if you go to those stores, those shiny rocks are expensive. Um, so <laughs> we got a rock tumbler, and, and it's kind of cool. You, you put in rocks that, uh, that are supposed to... You know they're actually going to look cool when you're done. Um, and and you, you put in, at first you put in this, this uh, coarser grit and, and water. And, and you put multiple rocks in at a time. And, and it tumbles those rocks. And that first stage of tumbling is like a week or, or two weeks long. I have to hide it in my garage because it's just this, it gets really annoying. Um, and, and then after a couple weeks, then, then you put in a, a slightly finer grit, right? You, you do that, it takes like almost a month. I think, to, to do this. It's been a while since we've done it. Um, the process is, is not fast at, at all, but it, it's amazing to see not only each stage of the process, but to see that final stage, right? When, when those rocks are, are polished. And, and, and I always think about, I think about sanctification. I think about um, this happening in the church, right? It, it'd be really silly, it'd be a waste to just put one rock in a rock tumbler. Like that grit is expensive, right? You put in, you put in a bunch of rocks in there and, and, and they get tumbled all together and it's all being used to smooth out those rough edges and, 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 and chip away or, or smooth out um, what, is, what is covered. And it, and it uncovers what is, what is beautiful. And God does that. God does that through the body of Christ, right? As we're with other believers, and, and certainly Sunday mornings are part of this, but, but really I'm, I'm talking about, I'm thinking about being, being in the life of the church, in the life of the, the community of the church. This is where that happens. Right? So you're becoming more and, and more known um, by one another in, in deeper and deeper ways, right? You're getting to know others more and more. And, and as that happens, Right, one beautiful aspect is it, it, it becomes harder to hide. Right, we can have our guard up on a Sunday morning. Right? You, you could have driven here, gotten in a fight with your family, and, and by the time you walk through those doors, you can put a smile on. And my guess is most of us have, have done that. I know I have before. Um, you can do that for a couple hours. It, it's a lot harder when, when you're really living in the life of a church community. 
Um, when you become a, a part of a community, it's, it's harder and harder to hide. Uh, Lee and I shared a room on uh, our trip to India. There was a moment when we considered having our own rooms. Lee proposed it. I was like, man, that wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> that wouldn't be so bad to have my own bathroom and my own shower and I could wake up whenever, not whenever I wanted, but I, I didn't have to think about his schedule. We didn't do it, um, and I'm really glad we didn't. It was good for us to share a room together. It was like a little rock tumbler, right? Like God, God, uh, God used it. There, there conver- it wasn't hard at all. Lee's great. Um, but there are conversations that, that we had that I don't know if we would have had them if we didn't share a room together. Right? It led to more times of, of prayer together. We, we had to consider each other's needs, and that's always good for us. It, it was good for our hearts and our minds. And Paul's goals here, it, it's, it's just growth in, in Christ. It's, it's glorifying God. It's maturing. It's unity. It's fullness in Christ. It's equipping the body. And then in verse 14, he describes the negative. He says, I, I don't want you to be this way. I don't want you to be like children tossed to and fro um, by the lies of this world, by the schemes of our enemies. But one reality is that every Christian, we all start off spiritually as babies in Christ. Right? Every follower, um, when they're born again, they start off as a baby. So your physical age does not matter. Spiritually, you start as an infant in Jesus. Right? You, you might trust Jesus years into your adulthood. Right? You, you may have learned all kinds of life lessons. You might be responsible and successful and well-rounded in so many ways. But when you come to know Jesus, you start off as a baby in Christ. And there is so much growth that needs to come about. And babies, as we know, need families. We've had a lot of babies born in the last few years in our church. And every one of them needs a family, right? They need a mom, they need a dad to take care of them, to provide for their needs, right? An infant uh, can do nothing without you. You get to change diapers. You get to swaddle them um, so tight so that they can sleep. You, You get to be up in the middle of the night with them, sometimes over and over and over again. Um... Baby needs you to feed them, right? They're totally dependent, right? And, and I always forget this, but you hold a new baby and you forget, like, man, they're not even interactive for, like, months. Like, like the fun part doesn't really come for a while. But as that baby gets older, they can do more and more, right? Eventually, they, they can see further away, and they're discovering this world around them, right? They can grab things. They, they start to smile at you as they make eye contact with you. At some point, they transition to, uh, from milk to solid foods. And I use solid foods loosely. It's mashed up food because they still don't have teeth. Um, and, and you're spooning like every bit into the mouth. And that was hard for me with, with the first one. Um, I, I was not ready for the mess of kids. Like, I'm not a super clean person, but I wasn't prepared for the messiness of, of feeding Caden. Um, but you have to be ready for the mess. Right? It was hard for me with Caden to let him have the spoon. But he didn't even care about getting in his mouth, right? It's like he just wanted to paste it on his face. But, but I had to, right? I had to let go of that. He needed to learn how to do that, right? If, if I constantly fed him, he wouldn't learn, right? He wouldn't develop some of those motor skills. Um, it, it wouldn't have been good for him if I kept feeding him. If I, if I followed him at college now and fed him, that would be pretty ridiculous. 
So at some point you realize really that every opportunity for a kid is a learning moment, right? Everything that they grab and touch and interact with. I remember sitting with Maddie, she was like two years old, maybe three years old, and we're, we're sitting a few feet apart, rolling a ball back and forth, and I'm just marveling, like, man, she is learning about her world right now. Uh, I remember um, we adopted Maddie, uh, and, and I remember the first videos we got from her, uh, from the orphanage. She's just playing by herself. Uh, other kids were nearby, but they weren't, they weren't playing together. And, and I'm guessing that there were probably workers at the orphanage that just didn't want to be in the video, and, and maybe they weren't even supposed to be in the video. But, but it made me so sad that there's, there's this girl that we're going to adopt, and, and, and nobody's, nobody's there playing with her. Right? You fast forward a year or two later, and, and man, she has a family. Right? There's mom and, and a dad helping guide and teach Maddie. And, and she has older siblings and extended family. And, and, and I love it. Like she's, got, she's got a church family now. Uh, this Christmas Eve, that, that Sunday morning, if you remember uh, right after our service, we, we had all that food to eat together. And people just hung out a, a really long time. And, and she was sitting there after the service eating some food with Lindsay. And, and she was talking with, with John and Julie. And, and we just kind of marveled, because a year ago, Maddie would have had a conversation with an adult. Um, but our little girl was, was growing up, right? When we, when we come to Jesus, it isn't just you and Jesus, right? By God's design, we start off as babies, right? We're, we're growing as, as children. We grow in our church family. And several years ago, I read something about, about baptism that I've probably heard over and over again, but it just struck me in, in a way that, that my brain finally connected with it. When a person is, is baptized, this individual um, is not only proclaiming, I follow Jesus, but, but they're also saying, church, I'm a part of you. right? Or, or to say it a, another way, the, the, the one person joins the many. And then when we come to the communion table, uh, the, the many become one. In Christ, like together, collectively, during communion, the whole church is, is saying, man, we are one. We are one in Christ, right? We are one in knowing and worshiping God through Jesus, the Son who has saved us. God saves us into community. God uses community to heal us or, or, or uh, uh, sanctify us, right? We're saved into a family, and I hope that you get to know the different generations in our church, right? That, that we don't just stay in our life stage, um, uh, the people we hang out with, the people we get to know in our church, because, because we need each other, right? Uh, older generations need younger generations. Younger generations need older generations, right? There, there are going to be some in our church body that will become like mom and dad to you or, 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 or like an aunt or uncle or, or grandma or grandpa, Right? And that's by God's design, right? That this family helps you grow in Jesus. This family helps you, helps you heal. You need people with different experiences, different perspectives to help you grow. And back to that rock tumbler. You have to decide to get into that rock tumbler, right? You have to decide to get involved in the life of a church, right? You sacrifice, like I said earlier, it being easy to keep hidden what you want hidden. Uh, I, I used to work as a counselor, um, and, and there's a tool that I often use with my clients. It's called uh, Jahari's Window. Maybe some of you know it, but we'll, I think we'll have an image of it up here. Um, so there, there's four sections, right? There's open, uh, blind spot, there's the hidden, and, and the unknown. Uh, so open 
the open box, you see, it's, it's, it's what you know about yourself and it's what others know about you as well, right? So uh, what's open? I mean, you can see I'm a man. Uh, you can, you, if you didn't know me before today, you probably figured out my, my vocation is ministry. You can see I wear glasses, right? All of those things fit into uh, the open box. The, the blind spot is uh, what you don't know about yourself, but what others do know about you. So I'm guessing, Lee and I haven't talked about this, but I'm guessing that Lee picked up on things in, in really living uh, together for two weeks that I'm totally unaware of. Right? I, I don't know, maybe I make super weird sounds when I brush my teeth, I'm not sure. Um, uh, probably faces that I make in situations where I'm uncomfortable or caught off guard, I, I don't know. I don't know how I come across to others. Right? These are blind spots, we all have blind spots. Someone else can observe them, but I'm totally unaware of them. Right? And, until someone tells me I don't know about them. And then there's, there's the hidden box, right? So uh, it's, it's known to me, or, or you, uh, but not known to others. Um, so an example uh, for some in the room uh, would, for some of you this falls in the open box for me, but for others I haven't talked about this in a while. Um, I, I cannot dance. Um, I, I could not dance to save my life. Uh, I feel terribly uncomfortable when I dance. I, um, I went to a Bible college that didn't allow dancing on purpose. Um, and yet, in India, um, I was made to dance. Here's a picture. There's no video, but here's a picture of me uh, with a former Sikh. You can't tell that we're dancing right there, but we were, we were grooving. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to show you how, uh, but, but we were dancing together. They, they do not take no for an answer. Uh, so so that, that was hidden to you, and now it has been revealed that, uh, that I, I danced with, uh, with a bunch of dudes <laughs> in India. It was wild. Um, the, the first time dancing started, here's what you do if you don't like to dance. You break out your phone and video it, and then no one expects you to dance. You can only pull that trick once. Uh, in a group of people. So they, they made me dance eventually. The last box is the unknown, right? It, this is not known to yourself. It's not known to others, right? This is like future stuff, or uh, or, or this could be uh, this could be like a diagnosis that, it, that you don't know, right? You got you get cancer or something. It hasn't been diagnosed yet. So so this is like God knows this stuff. We we do not. It's, it's scary, but really, really possible. And I think it's happening more and more in our society that, that the open box is really, really small. Right? There's, there's not only a lot of blind spots, but there's a lot that we keep hidden from others. And, and part of being in, in community is, is, is that open box growing. Right? It's, it's hiding less and less from, from the community believers that you're in. It's it's receiving more and more feedback from others so your blind spots are, are, are actually shrinking. We are so tempted to keep things hidden, right? And it's been that way since sin entered the world. We remember Adam and Eve, they're, they're walking in the garden after they sin, and, and then they hear God, and what do they do? They hide, and we've been hiding ever since. Right? We don't want others to see our sin. But yet this should be a place that, that by God's grace, our sins do not have to be hidden, right? And I don't mean we, we flaunt sin and continue in it. I mean, we let our sin be brought into the light, right? Leading to healing, leading into uh, Christ-likeness. Um, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another 
Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is great power as it is working. When we hide our sin, we remain alone. When we confess our sin, when we bring it out into the open to our brothers and sisters in Christ, God surrounds us with that community and and there's there's prayer, there's support, right? There's accountability that that is loving. It it helps us grow in our Christ-likeness. Bonhoeffer writes a lot about community. He he writes a lot about Christians wanting to to hide their sin in in church especially. And and he just emphasized, the fact is every one of us is sinners and yet the enemy would love for us to believe that it's just us that struggle with with this certain sin and we need each other in order to grow in ways that we will never grow on our own but there's this saying out there that that you are enough and it's not true It, it feels good it boosts your confidence maybe for a bit but by god's design it isn't true god made you to need others and it takes courage to let other people into our lives both where we're wounded and where we're letting sin fester. But, but in community, we, we let others behind that curtain. We let them into the ways that we think, the struggles that we have, the habits that we cannot beat on our own and our hurts. Right, we have to let light shine on all the areas of our life, including the ones that are flesh, with love for us to keep hidden. Growing in Christ-likeness, right, growing in being set apart to be used by God requires that we let other Christians into our lives, right? That, they're, that, that you are meaningfully connected in a community, that, that you are known and that you are growing in your knowledge of others too, right? This is your church family, this is your community that he's given you. And I'm not saying the entire church knows all your stuff, right? Or even most of the church, but, but at least this pocket of people truly know you, right? Not just your strengths, not just what you're good at, but your struggles, Right? They, know, they know how to pray for you in, in meaningful ways that, that a person couldn't just guess. Or, or actually, they probably know you so well that they could guess exactly how to pray for you. Right? You, you need people that no matter what's going on, right, you just pick up the phone, text them, call them, right? and, and get their, their support as brother or sister in Christ. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. That might be a, a familiar verse to some of you, but even if it isn't, it's, it's a really straightforward verse, which I, I love those. We, we sharpen one another, right? Similar to iron being used to sharpen another piece of iron. This is by God's design. And when we're in the life of other believers, or the lives, I should say, of other believers, God is going to use you to shape them and them to shape you, to sharpen you. Right? He, he, will, he will use that relationship, those relationships to grow you. Iron sharpening iron is kind of a violent process, really. Um, and, and often, God using others to shape us can be painful. I remember sitting with, with this man in Clark who discipled me at my last church as I was a brand new youth pastor. I was 23 years old. We were sitting in a, in a Starbucks in southeast Portland. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I'll never forget what he said. He said, Greg, your God is too small. 
And that was a really humbling moment for me, right? At this point, I had a degree in theology, biblical studies, youth ministry, and yet he just nailed me right where I was. My view of God was too small. My understanding of who God is and what he could do, my trust in God was embarrassingly small. And in that moment, it was very humbling. I was embarrassed. I didn't really want to see him that next day or that week, but man, that was so good for me. It was a pivotal moment in my development as a Christ follower. Back to Ephesians 4, and actually I'm going to read verse 1 again and then continuing to 2. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, right? We, we do all of this, all this, this community, this, this sanctifying, this, this rock tumbler, man, it's done in love. It's done with humility. It's done with gentleness and patience, right? We, we bear with one another, right? This is really difficult. If you don't know this yet, um, there will be people that God puts in your church community that at times bug you and annoy you. And guess what? It's a two-way road. You bug people too. You annoy people. And we get to bear with one another. Right? We recognize the grace that God has given us and we extend that grace to sisters, to brothers in Christ because we're trying to help each other grow in Jesus. Right? But it isn't just, just a, a fire hose of here are all the ways that I can see that you are not very Christ-like, all the ways that you need to change. Man, think about how patient the Lord has been with you in your life. I'm so thankful for God's patience with me. And we get to show that patient love of God to one another. Verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, are you getting the point? One Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I hope that you pray for the unity of our church family. Right? We're, we're supposed to be united, but that doesn't come automatically, it doesn't come easily. If you have a church with any type of diversity, unity is a struggle. I suppose maybe if you just started a church with your closest buddies, that, that might not be true, but I, I think even then it would be. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right? In the community among brothers and sisters in Christ, as they, as they see into your life, they see what you don't see, there are going to be some hard conversations. Hard conversations that in the moment hurt. And it, it's a wound from a friend, but it's totally true. And out of love, they will confront you. Right? They'll tell you, this is not of Jesus, Greg, what I see in you. And that's God's grace. Right? That's God using the body of Christ to, to sanctify us. Skipping down to verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it, which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Bonhoeffer said this. He said, 
nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Our culture um, in America has adopted this, this belief that speaking love means confronting little or nothing. How can it be loving to avoid what is true? And we've seen the opposite too, right? Maybe you've seen a Christian, or maybe been, we've probably all been this Christian, that with the pressure of a fire hose, we come with truth. But they don't know. They don't know how to be loving or caring in their approach, right? There's no consideration of how to speak the truth in a loving, edifying way. There's no thought of gentleness. I heard Jamie's sermon from last week. I loved it. Um, if, if you haven't listened, if you didn't hear it, you should go back and, and listen to it. But he said last week, uh, we're, we're offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, right? Or, or from this week, we're walking in a manner worthy of the calling we have received, right? And this, this means that we're committed to this transformation, this, pro- this progressive sanctification, right? This healing that God does. We submit ourselves to the way of Jesus in the community of Jesus that he's gifted us with. And, and through through these people that we're in Christian community with, he tumbles us, right? He slowly changes us. He's changed us from, from one degree of glory to the next in the image of Jesus. He's polishing us to shine more and more like Jesus to be used for special purposes in this world. Would you pray with me? I thank you. I thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ that uh, over my years of knowing you have, man, have been, have been such a blessing to me. Lord, I can think back to hard conversations that in the moment may be hurt. Or I can think back to, to times where I, man, I didn't even know how I was going to get up. And yet I have brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, virtually carrying me along to continue in you, Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for, for the love that you've given us and, and then we get to be that conduit of your love to one another, God. I thank you that all these people just showed up today. You know, it's a different time. It's a different place. So we can gather as your people. And God, would you grow us? Would you grow us as, as your church, Lord, as one of your local outposts for your glory, God? We need you, Jesus. We need you. We help us to trust in you and follow you, Lord. We help us to quit hiding. Help us to be real with one another, Jesus. Would you unite us, Lord? Right? Not, not because of where we're from or what we've done, but because of who you are, Christ. Because of, of your great love for us. Because of your sacrifice for us on the cross. Because of the hope that we have, the sure hope that we have, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.